trivia, discussions, opinions, and the chance to have your say. Welcome to the Topical Resort.
resort opens its doors for another week. Oh, it's not quite as resorty as last week, though, because I can actually hear myself think because it's surprisingly cool tonight. Just as cool as the topic we've got coming up during the show. So I'm Green Viper 8, and welcome to another week here at the Top of Resort covering the PlaySega online service, which we'll be discussing and explaining in just a bit. What you heard there was from Sonic the Hedgehog, the, or Sonic the Hedgehog 2, the 16-bit version. The two-player version of Casino Night Zone, and I gotta say, Casino Night two-player really is best Casino Night, and you can't even can't even rebut me on that one. You can try and come at me on a Discord or Twitter. You c- you can certainly have an argument. You won't win, but you can have an argument. But ironically, and I say ironically, um, I totally knew this, but one of the things about Play Sega that we don't really have documented is we don't know if it had two-player support. So in theory, they could. Maybe they left the two-player stuff in the ROM, but you just can't play it. But we have no clue whether any of the two-player stuff in Sonic uh, Sonic 2 and, to an extent, Sonic 3 Knuckles. We don't know whether that actually contained any of um, the two-player stuff. So maybe that was a bad choice playing that one, but I don't care, because I wanted to play that one over any other track in Sonic 2. Because I love it. It's also my ringtone, so every time I hear it, I jump out my skin. It's also my alarm theme. It's a lot of things relating to my phone that make me jump out my skin every time. So when it came on my headphones, I sort of went, just (laughs) that brief state of shock. I thought I was getting a phone call mid-show that I've, actually that reminds me, I have forgot to put my phone on silent. Um, Let's do that, I guess. Good plan. Before that, another track from the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise, because Sonic was quite popular on the PlayStation service and well, there were a lot of other games, but the big ticket ones were always advertised as the Sonic games, and this was the biggest ticket of the big tickets. The Sonic the Hedgehog level creator, where you were able to create your own Sonic 1 levels in a unique zone, which is actually nameless for some reason. That's why we've gone with the title main theme for that one. That's the track that plays whenever you play a custom level in the game. And it's really... Obviously, we have nowadays sort of replacements for that. We have Sonic Studio, that uh, fan game and ROM hacking tools and quite a lot of other bits, but I don't know, nothing quite really matches uh, having an official level creator years before Mario Maker did it. In fact, like six, I think it was six years, I'm fairly certain Sonic level creator was 2009, whereas Mario Maker was 2015. 9-11, 2015. But yes, um, so I'm going to be getting into a lot more of sort of the background of the Sonic level creator and a lot of the other Flash games as well as the Mega Drive games on the service later on in the show, but those of you who do not know what Blazeager is, you've never heard of this service and you just tuned into the show because you like my voice, um, you're not doing that, but you're just tuning into the show because it's something to listen to on a Friday night, so thanks for thinking of me, I think, but... So the easiest way to describe PlaySega was it was a subscription streaming service well before subscription streaming services were cool. That's also very difficult to say. But what, how it worked is you opened your browser, you went to PlaySega.com and you would sign up, you would pay a certain amount a month, or you could play for free. You could play some Mega Drive games for free and some... Actually no, I believe you could play Flash games for free but you couldn't play Mega Drive games. And you can play uh, the level creator games, you can play them without a subscription, but to make new levels you need a subscription. But the long and short of it is, a partly free, partly paid online service that contained half new games that were made in Flash and half old games that use a Flash-based Mega Drive browser. And this service launched all the way back in 2008, and there's still companies such as, um, 
What's their name, actually? I don't remember. The one that uh, Gameheart keeps pushing that everyone absolutely hates. That's not doing well. But PlaySega did this 10 years earlier, and PlaySega did pretty well for itself. We're going to be going over the actual history and the demise of it later on, because it is now long, no longer with us. But it did pretty well for itself, I assume, in the years that it was operational. And... Um, well, J Jamie's bullying me in the chat, so I'm just going to swiftly ignore that. But Launch of 2008 closed in 2011, and there was a big sort of history before it of what was on the domain, etc. Antstream, thank you, Brick Gamer. Antstream is the name of uh, that brand new gaming streaming service that everyone's going nuts for, and not in the good sense. They're really not happy about Antstream because um, input delay, etc., and how John Button, the. Uh, how, well, what's his online username? Uh, John Burton, aka Gamehut, how he's sort of handled it. He hasn't handled it very well, and he's been uh, rude to the fans and rude to people backing it, and he's not providing enough evidence, etc. And people are just really sort of pushing back against it. They're not very happy about that service at all. But PlaySega did it 10 years earlier, and dare I say it, <laughs> it did it 10 years better too. Now that makes no sense, I'm fully aware. But I should say, what does make sense is, if you want to make some sense out of this show, then the best way to do it is through our Discord server to join other like-minded Sega fans in the discussion, because they'll walk you through any information you need to know, and most importantly, they'll keep the chat and the banter flowing. So that, if you want to join the chat room, that's radioetty.ja4/discord. I am Green Vibrate over there, that's me. And as for other people currently in the Discord server, we have Jamie, we have Brit, and currently lurking, I don't want to call out the lurk, but I sort of got to. We've got Electric Boogaloo, but if you're listening, hello to you. If you're listening on the podcast, hello to you. And if you're lurking, hello to you. And, well, what else do we really say here? There's not an awful lot I can honestly mention. Because a lot of the stuff I'm sort of saving for future blocks. So, even including like Sega News, I can't just say, oh, this happened this week. Because I'm sort of saving that for later on. But I will say... This happened this week because this week saw the launch of Virtual Racing on Switch in Japan. And it's pretty good. If you caught our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv forward slash official Radio Sega, and the stream will be archived hopefully tonight, um, we played through the game, played through all the modes, as we always do on those Sega Ages streams. And we played some online. The online's pretty laggy, but I got playing a lot of online yesterday, and it was much better. And that's not just because I was streaming, it takes a while for the online to improve. In the sense of, um, how would I describe it? In the sense of, you have to be in the game for a certain amount of time, like three minutes or so, then the connection really like streamlines and improves itself. So, give it time if you purchase the game and you're thinking, oh, this online's a bit naff, because it does actually improve. And while my opinion's on the game, it's no Daytona. But it's a damn good game. I will, I will give that to Virtual Racing. So go and pick it up if you don't. If you have a Japanese Nintendo account, you don't mind spending the yen because I think it's good. And it will take a few months to come over here to the West. So if you don't really want to wait, like I don't, then just I've, I've been distracted by Brit again. But if you don't want to wait, if you don't want to wait, like I don't, then there are ways to import Japanese eShop titles, and that's exactly what I did. But if you've got any opinions on how you think the port looks based on what you've seen, because, well, I don't think a lot of you have it, but let me know what you think of what you've seen. So a lot of high-profile channels have covered the port 
a lot of Sega fans who are Sonic fans go, eh, this looks naff, why would anyone want it? The graphics are bad. But you can't, you can't appease those people. They're absolute peasants. They do not understand the Virtua Racing hype. Because it, it is a game well worth its weight in gold. And 1992, that looks pretty good, not going to lie, for 1992. And, well, the Switch port, if it, if it upgraded the graphics, it would lose the charm. That's at least my opinion, and I did actually try to look into this earlier, but I, I saw references on forums of people using the PlayStation controllers to play Virtua Racing. But I don't think Virtua Racing was ever actually on PlayStation. Just people on the forums back in the day um, with some red herrings as I was trying to research this episode. But Virtua Fighter 2 was on the service, and interestingly about Virtua Fighter 2. Um, so how it works, or how the Mega Drive games work, which I won't be covering later, so I'll explain this now. The level drive, uh, no, sorry, I'm reading the uh, the website right now. The Mega Drive l uh, games are just an emulator, so it runs a web-based version of the Genesis, but with a J, Genesis emulator, and it loads the ROM through the emulator as a normal one would do, except the web address tells it what one to load, along those sort of lines. But for some reason, uh, so they're all just normally dot bins, whatever, that's the official file format Sega used back in the day for Mega Drive games. Virtual Fighter 2 uses Virtual Fighter 2 .smd as the ROM, and you're like, what? what's the big deal about that? That literally does not matter whatsoever, it's just a different file extension. What that indicates is that they use a peripheral known as, I believe it's called... I had the name in my head a second ago, and I completely forgot it. It's called the like, Super Mega Disc or something like that. Uh, let me look this up. Sega Mega Drive, Super Mega Disc. Someone will probably correct me on this in the chat, but it's um, yes, it's the Interceptor Mega Disc, but it had a different name elsewhere, I believe, but. A .smd file indicates that an Interceptor Megadisc has been used to rip the game. Therefore, Sega's own official emulator website uses an unofficial copy of the game that has been ripped using an unofficial peripheral. This is almost as bizarre as the Wii Virtual Console, specifically the Wii one. Because for those of you who weren't in the loop about it, the Wii Virtual Console actually used... Uh, Mega Drive, uh, no sorry, the Wii Virtual Console used NES ROMs with the INES header and you're like, what the hell does that mean? And the INES header basically indicates that an unofficial ripping device has been used to rip the ROM. So the official Virtual Console on Wii uses ROMs which Nintendo downloaded from the internet and likely the same happened here except in this case Unlike some of the Wii Virtual Console where you're downloading it onto your console, you're playing a ROM they downloaded on the internet, which they've re-uploaded back onto the internet, and now you are now de technically downloading from the internet. That is completely nuts. And Brit has rightfully pointed out that yeah, quite a few of uh, the um, quite a few of the Mega Drive Collection games on Steam actually have .smd files. I could link a few here, or I only have a few of the games on my collection, but I know for a fact that I have certainly seen them myself. And you mentioned the fact that Virtua Fighter 2 on Steam is a .smd, but I can also tell you that... Uh, interesting, actually, what's, um... 
Okay, so none of them in my library are .SMDs, but some of them are .68Ks, which is interesting because they don't really tend to store Mega Drive games in .68Ks, but hey, they did in this case, so what can you do? I know what we can do there. We're not Sega, but I know what we specifically can do. We can brush up on our trivia and head on over to the Trivia Coast. Trivia Coast. And we are back here at the Trivia Coast, your weekly game show where you can earn some points for knowing some of that juicy Sega knowledge. And it's always related to the topic of the episode of this week. We're going to be throwing you three Play Sega questions. So I have three different questions one hard, one easy, one medium. The hard question will nab you five points, the medium question will nab you three points, and the easy question will uh, nab you one point. And. In, in order to answer, you need to join our Discord server, which is radiose.ga forward slash Discord. I'm Green Vibrate, hashtag 6383. Only DM me. You cannot enter if you post your answer in the main chat, because you will sacrifice your points and you'll ruin the game for everyone else. Don't do that. Instead, private message me, double click my name. That's where you need to go to answer these questions. And Google is allowed, however, hopefully you should be able to get these questions. Or you should be able to use. Why well, should. What I mean is, there is one question here, the easy question, which hopefully you can do without Google, or at least you can guesstimate it. As for the rest of the questions though, Google is allowed, and Google to your heart's content, but just know that maybe the questions will be worded in a way which makes it slightly difficult for you to Google them. With that in mind, shall we get into the hard question? Probably the largest draw of the PlaySega service was its Sonic the Hedgehog level creator, as although a ROM editing to- or as although ROM editing tools had existed before, this flash-based recreation of Sonic 1 allowed for the easy creation and distribution of levels. Despite it being a major game for the site, not many people know about its development. Who created the Sonic the Hedgehog level creator? Who created the Sonic the Hedgehog level creator? You know where to go, you know where to get your points, you know where to not get those prizes, they never give you prizes, but... We're going to get into some music now, and one Flash-based game, oh, because the only Flash-based game that really has any evidence of its existence surviving is the Sonic the Hedgehog level creator, so we've had to get a bit creative in regards to some of the Flash games, but one of the games we do know was a Flash game was known as Brain Assist. Now, if you tuned into Saturday Night Sega last week, you would know that we had a discussion about Brain Assist, because it was recalled in the UK due to the use of a disability. Um, slur. And Persona 5 made the same news this week, even though it actually didn't, but in this case it did. And it's specifically recorded in the UK because it's, it's viewed as offensive here and it's not viewed as offensive anywhere else. But that's sort of the game's claim to fame. Except, um, what I want to point out is the fact that the game over here was published by Ubisoft. However, the game in Japan was published by Sega, so when you hear people refer to it as Brain Assist, they're normally talking about the English release. But in an attempt to muddy the water, Sega called the version on Play Sega Brain Assist, even though the DS version that they released was released by Ubisoft. So I've I've played music from the DS version because I don't have music from the Flash version. 
As such, I've called it Touch the Uno, which was the original Japanese name to avoid some sort of confusion. I've got three tracks from it up here now because they're all relatively short, and then I got one track from Sega Casino coming up afterwards. Even though Sega Casino wasn't on the service, none of the music from any of the Blackjack Casino poker type games has survived, so it's really the closest I can do. But we got we got a block of incredibly MIDI-ish Sega sounding DS games, so let's kick things off with Sound Code B from Touch to Uno, also known as Brain Assist, right here on the Topical Resort. Friday night, this is Topical Resort, only on Radio Sega.
Next Request Resort. Send your request relating to the topic of the episode in a tweet to at Radio Sega or the Green Viper 8. Or send it in a Discord DM to Green Viper 8 through our Discord server at radiose.ga forward slash Discord. Hasty History. And we are back. This is the Topic Resort right here on Radio Sega, and we are covering the Play Sega sadly defunct service. And you heard a track there from Sega Casino, a game which wasn't on Play Sega because, as I just pointed out, a lot of the Flash games that were on Play Sega are sadly completely lost in time, with the exception of the Sonic level creator. So I had to get a bit creative with some of the music selections in some cases. So in that case, there was a lot of different casino poker. Uh, type games on the service and I thought Sega Casino was probably the most fitting in line in regards to what it probably sounded like. So I went with that, sound code 01. You probably would know that if you listen to early episodes of Request Roulette on Saturday Night Sega, but you probably know it more recently if you're a much more recent listener through Radio Sega's Guest Nights because that is actually a uh, talk bed on there when we have talk beds because Quite a lot of weeks we don't have them, but occasionally we do, because it takes quite a lot of time to edit the talk beds, but not a lot of payoff. A minute long talk bed can take upwards of like 15-20 minutes each, which, in fact, that's a bit under generous. Sometimes it can take as much as 45 minutes to edit one. Well. Before that, we had three tracks from Touch the Uno, also known as Brain Assist here in the West, a game which was originally published by Sega, later published by Ubisoft. And, well, Brain Assist was on PlaySega, but we don't have any of the Flash version, ver- versions of music, so that's the second best option. We had Sound Code 8, before that Sound Code A, and before that Sound Code B. And with that, it's time for the Hasty History, and normally I'd try and make the history as hasty as possible by writing out my own notes, my own cliff notes of the history or something, and just reading them out in a very fast voice. But today, um, I'm just going to copy Sega Retro, but see, it's not a laziness, it's because I completely reformed the article on the site for the sake of this episode. So, in reality, I'm copying my own homework. So, if you want to complain, I mean, there are plenty of outlets to do so, but you can't really complain that I'm copying myself. But, yes, there is some stuff on here I haven't written, but I have rewritten some of the majority of it, so... I will tell you that PlaySega first launched, technically, on uh, the 14th of October 2008, and it featured a variety of Flash games in an in-browser Mega Drive emulator. Guests were able to play Flash games for free, however you needed to be a registered user to play Mega Drive games or Flash games with user-created content. VIP users who had more than a three-month subscription would be able to receive a PlaySega USB Saturn-style joypad. The site would... Uh, no, I'll, I'll leave that bit for later. So the history of the site. PlaySega.com was registered by Sega on November 14, 2002, previously being re- registered to an unrelated spam company. In 2003, PlaySega launched as a hub for the European releases of Fantasy Star Online Episode 1 and 2 and Fantasy Star Online Episode 3 Card Revolution. Players of either game were entitled 30 days free online per legitimate copy of the game. After these 30 days, users must purchase a hunter's license, which serves as a subscription to the game, which would need to be paid on top of broadband fees. Both a 30-day and 90-day pass can be purchased through the website. 
In 2005, the service was updated to support the purchase of Fantasy Star Online Blueburst and Fantasy Star Online Universe in 2000. Sorry, Fantasy Star Universe in 2006, while Episode One and Two for GameCube was dropped in 2008. So there was a large list of games available on the website. So once you registered, you could play Mega Drive games, as we said, through a browser-based version of Genesis. The games available were Alex Kidd in, in the Enchanted Castle, Altered Beast, Alien Soldier, Biohazard Battle, Bonanza Brothers, Comic Zone, Columns, Crackdown, Decap Attack, Dr. Robotnik's Beam Machine, Dynamite Heady, Echo the Dolphin, Echo the Tides of Time, Echo Jr., ESWAT, City Under Siege, criminally underrated game, Fatal Labyrinth, Flicky, Game Ground, Golden Axe, Golden Axe 2, Gunstar Heroes, Kid Chameleon, Knuckles the Akinda, Inside the Hedgehog 2, Ristar, Shining Force, Shinobi 3, Return of the Ninja Master. Um, Sonic and Knuckles, Sonic 3D, Flicky's Island, Sonic Spinball, Sonic the Hedgehog, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Sonic the Hedgehog 3 and Knuckles, Space Harrier 2, Streets of Rage, Streets of Rage 2, Super Thunderblade, The Revenge of Shinobi, Toe Jam and L, Vector Man, Ve Virtual Fighter 2, and Wonder Boy in Monster World. As for the Flash games, at some point since they tend to, tend to remove games from the site for some reason, which I never really got, at some point there were this many games, which I'm not going to count them. There were there was Aquatic World Aquatic Word Burst, Beijing 2008, Blocks and Bones, Brain Assist, Bridge the Gap, Chromatica, Columns Flash, Chichi Rocket, Doctor Lynch, Grave Secrets, Greek Island Solitaire, Hollywood Adventure Quiz, Hot Air 2, Ice Shuffle, Jewel Quest 3, Key Largo Mini Golf, Mahjong Amazon Adventure, Marble Garble. Military Command, Mortimer Beckett and the Secrets of Spooky Manor. Music, Melodies and Rockstars, Peggle Knights, Peggle is it? Yes, that Peggle was surprisingly on Play Sega, which I was very surprised about. Play Sega Blackjack, Pup Base, Righteous Kill, Samantha Swift and the Hidden. I don't know what what's hidden, but Samantha Swift and the Hidden. I couldn't find any other information except that part of the title. I don't know if there's more, but I couldn't find anything more if there was. Sega Pool, Skywire 2, Sonic of the Olympic Games, notice no mention of Mario there, Sonic the Hedgehog level creator, the two other big ticket games, Stuntmaster Motocross and Stuntmaster Motocross 2, Texas Hold'em, Midnight Oil, Three Real Slots, Walls of Ra, no that has not been cut off, I thought that too, and then I looked way further into it, the, the game is actually called Walls of Ra, Women's Murder Club and Zenerichi. As for your subscription, uh, subscribers or VIP members are given access to levels or level editors for Sonic the Hedgehog level creator and Stuntmaster Motocross 2. They are also given a free Play Sega USB joypad contingent on subscribing for at least 3 months which costs $12.99 or $19 or sorry $14.95. However there is also a shipping fee. Signing up to a free 5 day trial gave you temporary access to the level editors. Anyone may play levels created by VIP members whether they are subscribers or not, but you'll need to register an account, which is free. The site would be quietly closed in June of 2011, with the site displaying a maintenance message until around 2013, when the site then started to return an error. Sega is still in ownership of the domain name and most related play Sega domains. So interestingly, it was a bit of a placebo because they didn't really, they weren't really doing maintenance. They just didn't really want to announce it was closing, and that's sort of in line with how PlaySega operated. Because if you look back to the press releases from the time, even ones like Kotaku are saying 
yeah, we didn't know this was happening. This just sort of happened one day. It quietly came out, and, well, the death of the site seems to echo that, because there was no official warning going, sorry guys, starting today, we're going to be rolling, phasing out the PlayStation service. It was seemingly, as far as I can tell, unless I'm just missing a lot of information, just one day, they just flipped a switch and put on a maintenance sign, and then it just never came back. Which is incredibly in line with how they launched the site, but... Hey, what could he do? I, I just sort of wish that it would have got a more fitting send-off and, well, quite frankly, a more fitting launch, because I think this site deserved way better than the player base it was gifted and the marketing it was given, because, for example, there's an official Facebook page, which, oh cool, there's a Facebook page, they're going to be doing a lot of promoting on there. The Facebook page posted about three times, all three of which were on launch day. They never posted after launch day. Not once. That's really odd to me as a marketing decision. They probably like promoted it on social media, but you look under the place like a hashtag and that's dead and I haven't done any like advanced Twitter searches, but there just seems to be a serious lack of care given on Sega's part, which as a result, if you read sort of forums from the time, people are just really lethargic about this entire concept saying I don't know why I should support it and etc but the people who signed up for a pass said I love this service it's brilliant I'm, I don't have a complaint about it the only thing I have a complaint about is the joypads feel a little bit cheap but I can't really complain for the prices I'm paying which fair enough but everyone else was super skeptical of the concept for some reason because Sega just didn't do a good job of selling it and they didn't really seem to want to and I think this could have been a sort of large service for them had they continued and promoted it, but they just really weren't interested in the slightest. And it's very saddening because even now, I, well, we can see there is a gap in the market for something like this. Whether it's a gap in the market that people like and want to acknowledge is a completely different thing. But there certainly seems to be a place for this sort of thing. A Netflix-style back catalogue of your old titles, and that well, PlaySega had that going on as early as 2008, and it just sort of fell by the wayside. One interesting point I will bring up, however, is PlaySega does still live on, and I mean this in two ways. And I'm going to go with the slightly more obvious way first of all, and the slightly not totally inferred way. PlaySega USB pads are still heavily available, but not in the sense you think. Because if you search USB Sega controller on eBay, you're more than likely to get PlaySega controllers. Sadly, they all appear to be bootlegs. I have a PlaySega controller myself. I have one um, somewhere. Sadly, it couldn't be with me for this episode tonight because it's in bits and pieces in a drawer right now. But um, certainly at one point, I did have one of these, what I assume to be bootleg controllers. I'm fairly certain they are. I don't think my one was real whatsoever, but they used to be able to do a button slash case mod to them where you could just put a normal Sega Saturn controller in the case and it would work and the buttons would feel a lot better and I tried to do that and as a result it's just sort of sat in my drawer, which is maybe a bit of a shame because, come on, who doesn't love, um, who doesn't love just freebies, A, and B, themed controllers, and C, Sega Saturn controllers. It's a match made in heaven, and, well, I, I mean, 
we're only now in 2019 starting to see Sega actually make USB controllers their old controllers again. They had a Saturn pad previously in Japan. They had an actual official Saturn branded pad, but this was the first one we really had in the West. And after Play Sega, they just never made an attempt to make another one like it, and I don't really know why. It's slightly odd. Also, I just found out, I, I was looking at a screenshot of the website and I found out that, uh, I didn't really get to mention this because no one really mentions it at all. There's a little service on the site called My Escape. And My Escape was like a little, um, I was, I was going to make a reference which is also going to be lost, but it's sort of almost like a PlayStation Home, PlayStation Harbor type room. Where you can, but you, where you can decorate your room and decorate your character and hang out and chill in your room, but that's going to be really lost on people because that that service also got shut down, and it was very similar to Play Sega, but it also got shut down around 2013, I think. So maybe that's not a good example, but inside that you can create an avatar and you could you could buy Green Hill shoes. So if you complain about oversaturation of Green Hill, you haven't seen anything yet because you don't own a pair of Green Hill shoes. But they're saying that. Those, aren't those Reebok Sonic shoes technically Green Hill shoes? I don't know. I did say, however, there was a second way that PlaySega lives on, and this is a bit more subtle, but um, there's this little website called Radio Sega. I'm not really sure if you've heard of it. This is a very funny, ironic joke where I pretend to not know that I've heard of Radio Sega. But the gist of it is, if you go back on the Wayback Machine, or even if you look now, but specifically if you go on the Wayback Machine and look around the sort of 2009-2010 period to our current design then, it was known as Project 6. And uh, Twinny, um, now that he's hearing this, he's going to probably frantically search this and put it on a screenshot on Twitter or something. And if you do, I salute you. If you don't, I will probably do it during the music break. But... Project 6 of Radio Sega that was released just before this current theme in around 2010-ish time strikes a lot of chords with Play Sega. Like, I can't be the only one who sort of notices that. I, it seems very similar to me. Even down to sort of the font used, the colour scheme, the gradients, and even now, that still lives on in our current site. Look at our sort of um, header. Or not our header is in the Toe Jam and L theme as we currently have it. Uh, if you're watching back or listening back later, it's probably not the same. But don't look at our actual header. But I mean, look at sort of the tabs which say news and features, playlists and requests, listen to Radio Sega. Look at the gradients and the way the text is set up and sort of the colour scheme. Does that not even still, even after we change the theme, bear some sort of resemblance to Play Sega? Because I think it does, even now. Even all these years later, and now we're trying to sort of create a new theme that's sadly going to break away from that, but that's not a sort of something I noticed until I looked at screenshots of this site and thought, wow, these sort of do bear a similarity, and well, it's something that we can't really know a definitive answer to until we ask Sega Mark, and maybe one day someone will do that. But as for now, we're just going to have to speculate, and we're going to have to um, throw out the conspiracy theory that our current theme is based upon... The old Play Sega theme. Who knows? That's just a conspiracy theory. Anyway, we got request result coming up next, so head on over to the Sega Retro page to find out what games were released on the Play Sega service and therefore what games you can request music from. Currently, we got three requests. There's still time for plenty more. So be sure to check out that games list, and while you do that, we're going to ask you the second question on the Trivia Coast. 
Trivia Coast. So you guys absolutely blitzed through the last question on the Trivia Coast, and it wasn't the hardest question in the world, but there were quite a few hoops you had to jump through in order to get the answer. But if you haven't got the answer, I'll relay the questions shortly. But if you have, congratulations. But maybe in hindsight now, maybe the medium question would have been better as the hard question. But even, I don't think it's too hard of a question either way. But hey, what can you do? Because there's limited information known about this service. But I think this one might stump quite a few people. So guess ahead at your own rates. But I will mention before... I ask you the medium question, I will re-ask you the hard question, you're playing for 5 points, you can only enter if you private message me on Discord. And I need to know, who created the Sonic the Hedgehog level creator? Win 5 points if you answer that correctly. And um, I don't mean any fan project, I mean the official PlaySega Sonic the Hedgehog level creator. Answer me that question. As for the medium question, PlaySega's initial design allowed for one game to have a large advert in the centre of the screen for a couple of days. What game was advertised in this slot on the day of the site's beta release? So, what game was advertised front and centre on the PlaySaker website on the day of release? That's for a chance to win three points. Best of luck, because I think that might be slightly more fiendish than the first question with hindsight. So, sorry, I may have got the questions the wrong way around, but get guessing, get googling, and while you do that, I'm going to get into a request that I requested, because I didn't really have anywhere else to put it in the show. And it's one from a Space Harrier game we don't tend to play too often. In fact, I don't think we've ever played it on this show. From Space Harrier 2, this is the Harrier Saga, and this is Radio Sega.
Wonder Boy and Monster World there. That's the fifth game in the Wonder Boy series, and that was known as Monsterland Returns, a request by BrickGamer98, which was actually surprisingly sadder than I thought it would be. A track that was anything but sad was from Biohazard Battle, which Jamie <laughs> humorously said in the chat room, was um, in the West known as Resident Evil Battle. Because, um, topical jokes? What category would that come under? Humour cannot compute, but that was from stage two and six, and that was requested by Electric Boogaloo. And Twinny actually sat there and counted them. There were 41 Mega Drive games available for the PlaySega service, so that's one of the 41 games that you could have played if you purchased a subscription. For that, from the Mega Drive version of Columns, that was Atropos, requested by Jamie64326, and kicking off the block. A track that was requested by myself from Space Harrier 2. That was Harrier Saga, a track which I've not actually heard the Mega Drive version of before. And I quite like it, to be honest. Um, I don't know why I've not heard it. I think I'm just so attached to the original Space Harrier theme that I was sort of unwilling to give that one a go. But once I heard it, fell in love instantly. Great tune. And um, during the course of the break, we actually had uh, we had a response on Twitter from the Adam Wells, who... Um, has something to say, but first of all, I'm going to see what you guys have to say in the chat, just in regards to... I sent, um... I sent a screenshot of Radio Sega Project 6, or for those of you who don't know what Project 6 is, the white Radio Sega theme that I mentioned earlier that was, um, used around, sort of, 2010-ish time, and compared it to a picture of Play Sega, and I wanted to know what you think, so I sort of left that to boil, so... Have a look over on Discord if you're on there, but as for now, I'll read out um, what Adam Wells' response was. So let me just find where it started. Uh, Twinny is now rapidly retweeting it as I mention it. So uh, the original tweet said, At this point of the show... Yeah, this is very clearly written in Twinny language. <laughs> At this point of the show, be time to properly go over tonight's topic. Do tweet it as any experiences of play Sega you have, and gives thanks to Sega Retro, which I wrote the Sega Retro article. So it just posted the um, Sega Retro screenshot of the site, and then the little snippet of information. So Adam Wells replies with, I want a hashtag play Sega controller from the Gameworks Twitter. I love it, one of the best Saturn USB controllers until the recently released ones. Works great for playing Genesis games on Steam. Also, this plays into the fact that Sega is always way too early to the scene. If it de- oh, way too early for the scene. If this debuted, de- uh, debuted today, it would be huge. But in 2010, there wasn't a market for this service. The subscription services were still kind of new. Also, they had a Sonic level maker, again years ahead of Mario Maker, but too early, like most of Sega's innovations. And I really can't add anything to that. That mirrors my points exactly. Like the um. Maybe aside from the Play Sega controllers, I've never really got to use an official one, un- unlike uh, unlike this user here. But I can echo that. This service just released way too early. There was the gap in the market there, but no one really knew they wanted this until really a few years ago. And yeah, Sega jumped the gun as usual. Sega have a tendency to do that a lot, and then people go, Look at how innovative Nintendo is, even though Sega did it years earlier, just before there was a market for it. Nintendo's innovative in the sense of they know when the market's right. Sega know when they want to make a splash and make the change. Nintendo know when they want to make a ripple, but the ripple contains 
pound coins, I guess. That's sort of the best way I can describe it. Nintendo just sort of quote-unquote take the risks of trying to risking making something popular, whereas Sega takes the risk of, we're going to lose all our money on this, but it is worth it, because it will change the way the industry works, and well, I think, quite frankly, this did change the way the industry worked. So, while I, now that I've said that, I'm going to go over what you guys have said in regards to the screenshots in the chat room. Brick Game has posted an Incredibles GIF. Coincidence? I think not, because um, reaction GIFs are still a thing, as far as I know. Twinny says, I can see similarities in the aesthetics. And Jamie counteracts that by saying something completely unrelated, which is, the site used to take donations through PayPal? Yes, it did. Um, that was never sort of a, please pay my bills, please pay my electricity. That was more of a sort of, yeah, this this actually does take electricity to uphold. You're paying for the cost it takes to run Radio Sega, not the cost it takes for me to pay my grocery bills this month. That's sort of what I always felt about the PayPal button, and we just didn't really have a use for it. I, I'm obviously not the one who made this decision. I'm just reading into it as far as possible, and... Well, there just came a point where it really wasn't needed to continue paying for it. Whereas back in the day, it it was needed because Radio Sega used up a significant chunk more electricity and bandwidth and everything back in the day. Because Radio Sega is still quite big now, but Radio Sega back when it launched was a large deal in the community, especially when it was regularly appearing at Summer of Sonic and events like that were really sort of propping the site up. As a result, it required... And plus, back in the day as well, hosting was just much more expensive. Um, nowadays, we have like 200 listener slots. Slots, yes. We had 200 listener slots now, but back then, if you go back to like early forum posts from Sega Mark, the, uh, there was only as little as like five early on. In fact, I think um, day one had one listener slot. That just proves how expensive it used to be, and then eventually he like did the impossible and upgraded it to like ten, which required the donation button because that's how much it costs. But now it's so cheap we don't need any of that stuff anymore, and I feel like that's why we just don't have it there. I know it's an unrelated tangent, but I've actually been asked that before when we posted screenshots on the site. Like, why did it have a donation button? I want to donate to you now. Um, we don't really take donations anymore. Anything that we do make uh, as a result of mer I should clarify this. I think I've clarified it before. Anything that we make as a result of uh, merchandise or streaming revenue goes straight back into the site. It's either used to buy jingles, it's used to buy like extra listener slots, or it's used to buy soundtracks for the site, which I did last time, and in fact um, the time before I used it to buy jingles for the general radio stream as well as some of my own stuff. So I never really pocket the money, and no one else involved pockets the money, so... Sega take note, we're not making money off this, I guess, but we are, but we're using it primarily to fund the site, not to line our own pockets with greed, because we have other places we can earn money. Uh, Electric Brigadu says, um, Simon Shirley tweeted, as in our own site, or oh, ex-Simon Shirley, because Simon doesn't really work for us anymore, he just owns the server. He tweeted, wonder if Sega knows when PlaySega will be up and running, which is interesting, because this tweet, I looked at this earlier actually, um, this was tweeted, no I can't look at it because he blocked me on Twitter, right, um, incognito mode we go, yeah, um, that requires some explanation, not explanation I'm willing to give tonight, but other, other show hosts will sympathise with me here, 
Right, here we go. Oh, he actually uh, unprivated his Twitter, so I can see his tweet now. Uh, yep, <laughs> Shedex is blocked as well, it's not just me. Uh, give me a second here while I try and get this up. I want to see the exact date, because I'm interested in that. We have... There we go. On the 26th of October 2011 at 12.17pm, he tweeted, I wonder if Sega Knights Play Sega will be back up and running. The site had, uh, I looked this up, the site had been offline for months at that point. It had been offline since June, as I said, so this was the first mention of someone saying, guys, you know this site is down, right? No one had said it on Twitter before. I don't know whether Facebook or forum was different. I couldn't find anything about the forums, but this was the first mention on Twitter of, uh, guys, your big site's been down for three months, you might want to check it. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what was going on with them. But they took the site down. Whatever. What else is insane? Um, <laughs> TCB says exposing the business. Because, um, yeah, we're exposing the back end of Radio Sega. Ooh. But really, I think it's fair that we should be open and honest about this stuff because um, we don't really have anything to hide as far as I'm concerned. Like, what do we have to hide here? Brit has made a very funny joke that 2010, in 2010 we used to make blog posts. Ha! 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 That was physically so funny I had to bring out the fakest laugh of them all to try and um, just prove just how funny it was. But uh, I I, I've been trying to convince people to write blog posts, but I just really don't see the need for it anymore. My own reason for not writing blog posts is just I don't really have enough time in the week. Other people's reasons are just, uh, I, I don't know, I can't see inside other people's heads, but I guess just they don't see, they don't feel there's enough traffic coming off the blog posts, but I think they're still necessary, I just don't have the time to write them, which, which is my problem, and likewise with, um, likewise with the Guest Nights blogs, that's the same reason, because I know people were ha significantly that helped with listening to the show live as did Topical Resort I just don't have the time to maintain them anymore that's really my own fault more than anyone else's but yes yes we did used to write blog posts remember that one um <laughs> damn it TCB says 2010 was nine years ago in inverted um inverted no in slanted text god yeah, we all we all really fell old off the back of that, don't we? Nine. We we had this discussion um, back in March. We've we've been doing live shows for nine years. That's sort of a bit baffling. Also, yes, thank you, Electric. You pointed out that the test post is still there. Thank you for being really helpful. <laughs> also, he says Serga says he'll delete it. He never deleted it. Thank you, Serga. Either way, but yeah, you sort of get the point. We all feel old. Play Sega is dead. Let's talk about some of the games briefly because I've wasted a lot of time here. Just chat with you guys because I think that's more fun than chatting about Mega Drive games for the seven gazillionth time. Yeah, italics was the word I couldn't think of. Thank you, Electric. Also, some of you are being rich coming at me as a, um, a, the grammar police. Brit, <laughs> this is very rich coming from you calling it italics. <laughs> when you can't even correctly use your... I've, I've butchered my own ground. I give up. Right, whatever. Um, 
So let's, let's talk about some of the games. I can't really talk about many of them. Beijing 2008, one of the Flash games. Uh, this is based on the Beijing 2008 game, the not the Mario and Sonic one. It's just based on Beijing 2008, and it was an okay game. It's very forgettable, and you really wouldn't have a reason to come back to it after Beijing 2008, and uh, certainly no, I haven't. Likewise with the London 2012 game, unlike sort of the Mario and Sonic games, which are pretty evergreen, Beijing 2008 is really not an evergreen game, and I can't imagine the Flash game would be very evergreen nowadays, now considering how old of a Flash game it is, and Flash games even now aren't very good, so can only imagine. Brain Assist, it's a massive clone of brain training for the DS and it's not a very good one. As I said, we were talking about this on Saturday Night Sega and really the only notable thing about Brain Brain Assist is the fact that it was recalled in um, the UK due to the use of an offensive term and the fact that it's related to Kokoro Scan and if you've listened I think it's mainly, um, or Kokoro, since someone's going to complain that I've pronounced it wrong, whatever. Um, if you listen to season one of the Topical Resort, you know that name, probably, because I mentioned it quite a bit. It's this absolutely balmy acid trip off the walls game, where you, um, just have to use the DS to scan people's heart and their heart rate and what they're thinking and who they love. It's nuts. It doesn't really work. It's nuts. The, the music is the main reason we know that game, because the music is just even more insane, and that's why it gained fame on the show and why we played it so much, because it's a seven-minute track that is just out there, even more so than, like, Nyan-Nyan-Nyan-Nyan, or however you want to say it. Nyan-Nyan-Nyan, because I have to pronounce it very Japanese, but you get the point. Brain Assist, nothing notable about it except for the fact it was a bit offensive against disabled people once and it was related to a game where you scan people's hearts. Aside from that, not too notable, but that's more things than a lot of games have going for them. But um, they got recalled in the UK for being offensive to disabled people. Not many people can claim that. Especially humans, you can't really claim that you got recalled. Actually, there's a subset of humans that can be, but uh, this is a PG show. Uh, let's, let's get away from Sonic at the Olympic Games. Not Mario and Sonic, we've mentioned this before. Sonic at the Olympic Games. This was a series of games that were mainly released on iOS, actually, that were mobile Sonic games that were at the Olympics. So I still had the proper Olympic license, just Mario was nowhere to be seen, as Nintendo are a bit strict with their brand control, and even now they still are, but... This was before Mario Run, this was before Mitomo. Because I want to say Mitomo, but once again, someone will complain. I'm seething right now. But, Sonic at the Olympic Games. Yeah, I mainly know this as an iOS game, but uh, it's on Sonic Retro. Let me have a look at this. Yep, sure enough, it was a Sega mobile phone game released as part of the Sega mobile service offered by Sega. And I don't know what phones it was released on, but looking at it, it seems like it was Java phones. Which is weird because I know that um, there is a Sonic at the Olympic Winter Games, and actually we have the music for that one on the playlist. And actually I've played that before and recorded footage of it, but I know that Sonic at the Olympic Winter Games was an iOS game. So this one was just a Java exclusive, seemingly, which I didn't know that actually. But this was part of the Sega mobile phone game service, which was massive back in the day. And not 
Not to be confused with Sonic Cafe, because Sonic Cafe is uh, a whole different beast, I think, as far as I know, but Sega Mobile was the sort of US subsidiary which released some games from Sonic Cafe onto mobile phones, but this also had a Flash version, and no one really knows anything about the Flash version. Uh, I really can't comment on it, because there's nothing known about it, except for the fact that um, it, it existed, it was on Play Sega. Um, that's really the only thing I can mention, I'm really sorry, but Sonic and the Olympic Games, maybe play Mario and Sonic instead, because uh, it's a pretty good game. The later ones are better, but the original Beijing one, pretty good. Let me check the music. Okay, I've got 13 minutes left. Oh, that's just really speed up, whatever. Sonic the Hedgehog level creator. I've sort of said everything I can say about it. You created Sonic levels in a brand new zone, which actually, fun fact, appeared in uh, Retro Sonic, the Taxman hack slash fan game, which later on the engine will go on to be used in Sonic Mania and all the Sonic ports. So that's where it all began in Retro Sonic, and well, the stage from Sonic the Hedgehog level creator was actually in Retro Sonic. Fun fact. And it's also considered in the game's files to be the seventh zone. Interestingly, zones one through six of Sonic 1 were meant to be in the game, but I assume lack of interest meant they were just never programmed in. Um, I can also talk about Stuntmaster Motocross 1 and 2, which were the other big ticket games alongside the Sonic level creator. And, well, the Sonic Mega Drive games, but they don't really count because they're Mega Drive games, they're not unique games. But specifically, Stunt Mar Master Motocross 2 is significant because it was. Um, what am I trying to say here? It was also. It also had a level creator. It was the only other game on the service, aside from the Sonic one, to have a level creator aspect. And nothing is known about this one. The developers actually seem very open to talking about it on Twitter. Um, I, get, I dropped them a follow today. They are known as... They are known as... Player 3. Player 3 Games. They developed both uh, the first and second entry in this series. And yeah, they've actually answered questions about it before on Twitter. So maybe I should just shoot them some questions about how this worked, etc. Because whenever you look at old Wayback Machine archives and screenshots of the level creator like sort of section of the site you only really ever see the Sonic levels because Sonic was 10 times more popular than this ever was which is sad because I mean come on it's 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 basically trials before trials and you all know how much I love trials I like it <laughs> that's how much I love it aside from that that's really all there is to say about the original games on the service the rest of them are all Mega Drive games and we've spoke ad nauseum about all of the games on this list these are the obvious games which get put on every collection on every console so nothing needs to be said here check out the list for yourself see if you like them and well we've got one more opportunity to get into the trivia coast so I've asked you the hard question I've asked you the media me, media question medium question, it's time to ask the easy question. Trivia Coast Right, so I should say, since last week we had quite an influx of people um, sort of at the end of the, or after I played the jingle, 
saying, oh, well, it was still open on my end, etc, etc. I will give you a time limit as to um, when you have to answer by. So that is when the jingle plays on your end, yes, but you can't answer after the jingle. But I will say that once this talk bed ends, you have exactly, roughly, in fact, roughly about six minutes. So we're going to be generous and say five minutes and 30 seconds before the jingle plays. So five minutes and 30 seconds, anything after that, for a couple, like 20 seconds will still count, but I'm giving you that warning. Like, you have five minutes and 30 seconds once this bed ends of safe time to get in your answer, and then the rest of it is at your own risk. But the hard question I asked you worth five points was who created the Sonic the Hedgehog level creator to play Sega? The medium question is what game was advertised front and center on the PlaySega website on the site's beta release day? And, well, one of you's already got that answer. Congratulations to you. You did your good gazoogling, your good researching. And now for the easy question. Despite variants having been uh, having been available before, another large draw of the PlayStation subscription was the Saturn USB controller that was bundled with the three months and up subscription. If you already had your hands on a controller, you could purchase another. How much would a second controller cost you in pounds? So if you already owned a USB Saturn pad through PlaySega, you could buy another one. How much would this second controller cost you in pounds? You've got the chance to win one point here. Do your googling, it's an easy one to find out. And while you do that, we're going to play some music from a game which I hate. I don't hate the series. People seem to think I do. I suck at the series, but this game sucks. Harder than me, arguably. Let's just move on before Jamie makes that into a voice clip. From Alex Kidd in the Enchanted Castle, this is the Kiki... Uh, I can't even read because you guys are sending me messages. The Kikikori Kiko, Kiki, Forest. Rock Mountain. It's Rock Mountain from Alex Kidd in the Enchanted Castle.
entries for the Trivia Coast are now closed. Trivia Coast. That was the Marion Sonic at the Olympic Games version of Let the Speed Mend It from Sonic and the Secret Rings, because, well, what else are we going to play from Sonic at the Olympic Games? And before that, from Alakid in the Enchanted Castle, that was Kiki 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 Forest. Yep. Rock Mountain. Uh, speaking of Alex Kidd, let's all take the opportunity to laugh at Brick Gamer because he's uh, ranting off to us right now about how the boss battles in uh, Miracle World are crap because they're RNG. So let's just all take a moment to laugh, those of us who've beaten Miracle World, myself included, I'm, I'm pants at Miracle World. Let's just all take a moment to uh, stop and three, two, one. <sighs> Big sigh of relief to know that we're not as stupid as Brick Gamer in this case, because they're clearly not RNG, they're the same pattern every single time, and on top of that, the Switch version, which was the version he was playing, gives you the boss order at the top and bottom of the screen. The little rock, paper, scissors, janken pattern at the top and bottom is the boss order. It literally hands you what you're meant to do. And you still failed for it. That's a new record for you. Even for you, that's a new record. <laughs> God's sake, man. Speaking of new records, hopefully you guys smash some new points records. Let's see what... Um, let's see what you guys scored, and let's see what the answers for those questions were. But Jamie asked me, would you say that Miracle Control, Miracle World controls are too slippery? Actually, yes, I would. I would be inclined to agree with Brit on this one. I think they're a bit too slippery myself, but I don't really know what the alternative would be. I'd rather have them a bit too slippery, to be honest, than way too stiff. But even still, I'd rather not have any. But I don't think that was an option. So instead, I'm just going to definitely go with. I'm totally going to go too slippery as my favourite option there. So let's kick things off with the easy question, which a whole bunch of you got. Despite variants having been available before, another large draw of the PlaySega subscription was the USB Saturn controller that was bundled with three months and up subscriptions. If you already had your hands on a controller, you could purchase another. How much would the second controller cost you in pounds? The answer? £8.99. Congratulations to... Brit, Jamie, Gravefour, and Electric, Electric Boogaloo, who all got their nice, nice and easy one point on that one. And, well, let's get on into the three-point medium question, which I think was actually the hardest question of the week. Couldn't have predicted it would have been, but you guys are just bad at Googling, I guess. No, I'm joking. This one was pretty difficult, but I expected the hard question to be more difficult than you guys seem to, to find it, so, oh well. PlaySega's initial design allowed for one game to have a large advert in the centre for a couple of days. What game was advertised front and centre on the site on the day of the site's beta release? The answer, as as correctly guessed by Jamie, Britt and Electric, was Sonic at the Olympic Games. Congratulations to you three, you got your three points and a whole bunch more got your five points. Probably the largest draw of the PlaySega service was its Sonic the Hedgehog level creator. As although ROM editing tools had existed before, this flash-based recreation of Sonic 1 allowed for easy creation and distribution of levels. Despite it being a major game for the site, not much is known about its development. Who created the Sonic the Hedgehog level creator? 
Now, I expect this one to trip people up a lot more because if you go on Sonic Retro, which is really the only site that has any form of um, information about this game, it doesn't list a developer. But if you jump for a few hoops, specifically if you go over to the message boards of the site, it will link you to a now defunct page of Mediatonic Games, which says, well, you can't read it, but it links to the Sonic the Hedgehog level creator being on their site. Therefore, and based on the forum comments at the time, we can conclude that Mediatonic Games were the creators of the Sonic the Hedgehog level creator. So congratulations to Jamie, Grayfall, Brit, and Electric. You all got your five points. And that was the Trivia Coast. You got your points. You haven't got any prizes. But it's the fun that counts. It's the Sega education that counts. You're more educated coming in, or coming out than you were coming in. So congratulations to everyone who, well, got it right. And with that in mind, well, it's the end of the Trivia Coast and we need to get on some... I'm just going to say fitting music, but none of this even remotely relates to what we were talking about there. We got on some more Mega Drive music, because of course we have. So, we got. I'm going to name to you what tracks we've got coming up, but I will say, coming up in just a bit, we have Test Your Topicality. And your topicality is going to be put to the test. We'll explain how that works if you've never heard it before in a bit. But we're going to go over a track right now from our own remix album, Radio Sega Presents Collision Theory. And it's a track by Faith in the Glitch. It's known as Altered Vector slash Man Beast. A remix of both Altered Beast and Vector Man. A mashup, if you will. When we come back, topicality, it's on the line on the Topical Resort.
Topic. This is the Topical Resort. 
missed an episode and want to catch up? Want to re-educate yourself on the topic of a previous show? Download our podcast from the Radio Sega Media section. Subscribe to us on iTunes or stream the show through Stitcher. One opinion, two opponents, and only one will be triumphant. This is Test Your Topicality. This is the only segment of the show where your topicality is put to the test in order to test it. There's just one thing I need. I need you to join radiose.ja4/discord. Oh, and I need you to have a microphone, and I need you to join the chill out, and from there you have a chance of dueling it out with me, or perhaps I'll duel it out on my own, or perhaps you'll duel it out against someone else. Either way, topicalities will be tested. And I'm not going to reveal what will be tested yet, but I will say that you just heard a track from Game Ground, and for a lot of you who regularly listen to the show live, I think I'm testing your patience with that one, because, I mean, we play Game Ground, specifically Origin, Theme of Heroes. I think we play that most months on this show, so I apologise if you're a regular listener live and you're, that song again, yes, that song again, because Game Ground, the Mega Drive version, it's different enough from the Sega Ages remix, but it's just that good, the original song. But the Sega Ages remix is pretty good as well. But before that, from Faith in the Glitch, from our Radio Sega Presents Collision Theory album, that was Altered Vector slash Man Beast. A remix of Altered Beast versus Man... Ve- nope. Altered Beast versus Vector Man. I almost said Man Vector. <laughs> that's, that's not the right name for the game. That's a, um... It's a very different game. That's a, um... It's just like the Deviant Dark games I've ever heard it. Or just, at the very least, involves some sort of deviance, I'd say. So, um, yeah, I'm sort of running out of things to waffle about. I shouldn't go into the chill out. I should go into the show's actual uh, Discord server. I should also set up my cables while I'm at it. That would have been a good idea. That's the wrong cable. I didn't want to press that one. I wanted to press another one. Um, are you muted? You are muted. Didn't hear that. Brilliant. Let's go. Right. Uh, Viper went into the chill out. Yeah, but uh, let's be fair. We all know what's going on tonight anyway. Hello, Jamie. Hi. How are you? Good, you. Yeah, you're very you're very quiet tonight. Um, you're on your other phone, aren't you? Yep, because I still can't find my charger. <laughs> Alright, well, uh, at least I can boost you enough and you don't sound like too dis... Uh, you don't sound too bad, so let me just mess you a bit more and uh, try saying something again. Hello? Right. Okay. I think we're. I think we're about the same level now. Let me know in the chat. But mm, it's a live radio show. There's only so much you can do. But so, are you ready once again, Jamie? You know how the rules work by now. I also didn't have a timer on hand. That would probably help. Uh, right. Okay. Uh, there we go. We got one. So, Jamie. Um, yep. Let's go for it. So, test topicality for those of you who've not listened in before. I sort of explained it, but not very well. So, I give you a stance, or a, I read out a, a opinion. And from there, you must take a stance. I must assign you a stance. So you must either say, I must either say that you must disagree, or you must agree. So say it was, why is Sonic Forces the world's greatest game? I would say, you have to tell me why Sonic Forces is the world's greatest game, and I'll have to say why it isn't, even if neither of us agree with that. We've got to come up with the most points in the time allotted, then based on that, whoever gets the most points wins, but you guys get the crown who you think made the most valid points based on their stance. With that in mind, this week's Test Your Topicality. Should gaming fans be able to give input on how to make games? 
Jamie, you're going to say as to why gaming fans should be able to give input on how to make games, and uh, I'm going to argue as to why, no, gamers shouldn't be able to say how de developers make games. So to be clear, this isn't like me tweeting at someone on Twitter saying, you don't know anything about making games, this is how you do it. This is like, should they be given level creator tools? Should they be given the ability to make in-game content? Should they be given like a ballot or uh, some sort of like, uh, like for example, Beyond Good and Evil 2, some sort of like feature suggestion type thing? Should they have any say in the development process whatsoever? Jamie, so are you almost ready to argue as to why um, why they should? Yeah. All right. Okay. So um, I'm I've missed my time, so we now got to wait for a minute. So um, do you wanna? How's that weather been doing recently, Jamie? Uh, I had uh, bad hail yesterday and it was thundering. Thunder, rain and lightning or thunder, hail yep. and wind? Yeah, uh, it's, it's not quite the same but it, it works out. But here, here it's been quite nice actually surprisingly again today and it rained a bit but can't help it. That's how the weather works but last week been lovely as it has been everywhere across the UK as far as I know. But our definition of lovely is different to America's definition of lovely. Oh, it's a chilly day if it's 30 degrees outside. Okay, brilliant. Whatever. Um, also, Sega's pretty cool. We should have probably talked about Sega during that time slot. But we are about to go in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, go. So, Jamie, why do you think um, gamers should have an input on how games are developed? Uh, oh, he's gone. Whoops. Hello, Jamie. Say something, please. No, he's gone. He's gone. Ah! This happens every time on the show. Jamie, speak to me. Speak uh, don't say this is. Don't say this is going to do it a third time in a while. I hope not. Uh, let's just, let's just keep speaking. Jamie, why why should gamers have a say in the development process of a game? I say fans should have a say because uh, such fans have strong creative input the nerd nerd of games it's like uh pe people some fans know how to keep the franchise fresh such as uh christian whitehead for example anything else just christian whitehead is that is that your answer <laughs> <laughs> yes right so um yeah, sure right I'll, I'll give you time so i say a reason why fans shouldn't be given input on how to create games is a copyright reason and not many people seem to bring this one up but if if a developer takes on your suggestion, you have some ownership of rights over that suggestion. And, well, I think the more rights game studios have to their own games, quite frankly, the better. Because then they can make sequels, they can make whatever, including your features, without having to pay you money. Which, you might be like, oh, that's a bit of a bad thing. But if you don't suggest features in the first place, then they can't con you out of money, in my opinion. But if they are... And will be probably freely willing to give up their ideas to uh, to help further give uh, better input to make get games the games from a franchise they lo love better. Oh, see, you, you say this, but I also think there's a lot of people who would sort of see stars in their eyes and go, "Ooh, money, money, give me money," because I developed or I came up with the idea of this very minor thing in this game but because it's mine it, but it's minor but it's crucial but because it's minor and because I want money give me 10,000 in order to conclude it in the next game that's what I could see happening and um, the more as I say the more rights people have the better but 
it leads to people becoming greedy and therefore trying to sort of finesse rights away from the rights holders. So maybe it's a bad thing in that sense. But then, uh, maybe you got me there. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Just go oh. for a completely different point. Eh. <laughs> uh, well, what it is, if uh, fans didn't have their input, it could uh, lead to games. Uh, it could probably lead to games co- rinsing, repeating the same formula, which. Uh, oh, you. Could... Put you on the spot. That's you've... sort of the whole point. <laughs> no, it's just you got me with that last one. Hey, one point to me. No, I already had the point. Um, whatever. It, it could lead to Winston with Pete Formula, which could lead to get games becoming more scale, and which fans could believe that if they listen to more of the uh, more of their input as as the player and the love of the franchise. Uh, games could, uh, uh, in theoretically, have a more fresh formula to keep the series going. Yeah, but I say, I'd say, on the other hand, a reason as to why they shouldn't have more fan input comes down to how often it's done, and that's through sort of ballots or polls. And well, um, if you've been around on the internet for long enough, you know that these. Feature suggestions slash name ideas slash whatever don't go about vandalism. The most innocent of which being the whole Boaty McBoatface scandal, and um, the the worst of which many cannot be repeated on this show. So by allowing, giving that option in the first place to spam racist, hateful comments into a feature suggestion, giving that option, are you ever going to have like real serious suggestions or? Even not going as extreme as that, people are just going to give you joke suggestions, like the Smash Ballot. I think all of the most popular options on that, people said, were SpongeBob and Goku, and there were probably kids voting for them. But a lot of that was because people on Twitter said, for a laugh, let's all vote for SpongeBob for Smash Bros, because like, it's, a, it's a funny joke. You open it up oh. to a lot of people trying to abuse the system, but you also open it up to a lot of people trying to make a mockery of the system, and that's why I think feature input in its current sort of state is a bad idea. But then depending on the uh, mockery that gets inputted, they could probably see some as a some jerks as a good good idea to input, like the old uh, Sonic meme. And then further on they could easily uh, have someone going through like probably said uh, ballots and all that to uh, to uh, separate the serious ones from the joking ones and then to take the serious ones further and see what fans have inputted. Good point, and with that good point, that means time is up. I gave us a bit of extra time there. We normally only do five minutes, but because um, because Discord decided it wanted to, wanted to screw up, um, I will tell you, however, that, Jamie, you received four points during that, based on my own judgement, and... Well, I received, since people seem to think I rigged this, and this is certainly no exception, I received two points. So, congratulations to Jamie. I think he made the most valid points, in my opinion. I think I'm, I'm clutching at straws in my own argument. What do you think? Do you think, even if you don't agree with either one of us, do you think I made the stronger points? Or do you think Jamie, in the end, made the stronger points? Let us know in Discord, and you can crown the people's champion, but the points champion... It goes to Jamie this week with two extra points over me. So, thank you for coming on the show, Jamie. Anything you'd like to say before I drag you back to the chill-out? 
Yeah, other than that one hiccup, I'm glad Discord actually stayed, stayed working for me. It's a rare occasion for Discord to stay working, I'm going to be honest, but thank you for coming on, Jamie, I appreciate it. And now you don't have to worry about Discord working, because you can disconnect for another week until I eventually force you to come back on the show again. I, I welcome it. I welcome it as well, unfortunately, because you, you've semi-become a co-host, which is scary, because um, no co-host, no host deserves as much bullying from their co-host, but it's how it works. And no, and no one seems to hop in the chill out anyway, so I thought, I always think... Uh, you, you want someone, so why not? See, a lot of a lot of the thing with this segment is there's a lot of people who go, oh, I'd love I'd love to do it, but I'm not around tonight, or I'll like privately ring people and they like oh, I can't do it, or I don't know what to do, or I've been on it before. So it's a, a lot of the times with the cases I want to match up a lot of different people, but I just can't. That's sort of the problem. I, oh, I want to do these two people against each other, but oh, Jamie's the only person around this week who can take a call. For example, so that's just sort of how it works, unfortunately. Um, but anyway, thank you for coming on the show, Jamie. You can't hear me apparently because it disconnected you. Goodbye. <laughs> and with that, that was Jamie. This was Test of Topicality, and we're into the pseudo topic mix. I don't have a like weird, funny jingle for it, but what I've decided to do with the topic mix for now, until I decide something more concrete, is we'll be showcasing some new stuff added to the Radio Sega playlist, or just some new Sega music. So. It doesn't have to be like new as in release date, but we've just added it to our playlist, so it could be something from the 1990s, but it's the first time you're able to hear it on Radio Sega, or able to hear it on this show, for example. Or in some cases, it's stuff we're not going to be adding to our playlist, but um, it's new Sega music. So in this case, you'll see what I'm talking about in a second, but I will say, the second track we have up in this block is from Monster Boy and the Cursed Kingdom, a game which came out ages ago, but a few weeks back we added to the Radio Sega playlist. But now I can get back to explaining that first track. That first track being brand new as in yesterday new because, well, we finally got some new news about Persona 5 The Royal a few days ago and wouldn't you know it, between a trailer and a brand new Persona concert which revealed another new Persona game, in that concert they played the full version, or what we currently consider to be the full version, of the main theme. Also in the trailer was a higher quality version of the main theme, so as thanks to YouTube, Someone has stitched them both together, and we can hear a two-minute long version of Persona 5 The Royal's opening theme. So, that's coming up first, and coming up second is a track from Monster Boy. And that's all here on the Toppy Mix. Let's get scratching. The Toppy Mix.
That snazzy music can only mean one thing. It's the end of the top result right here on Radio Sega. You just heard a track from Monster Boy and the Cursed Kingdom. That was Monster Lair. An awesome remix done by Banjo Guy Ollie. And it's not a YouTube remix. It's in the actual game. A lot of his music features in Monster, Monster Boy and the Cursed Kingdom. And it was brought up in the chat room that it's not a Sega game, but... As usual, Monster Boy counts for our playlist through our legacy rules, which I've never really elaborated on, and that's not my decision. People seem to think that the loopholes tend to be my thing. No, the loopholes for the legacy rules were brought in a long time ago. It states, uh, the long and short of it is, it states that any franchise that has a very strong connection to Sega was once part of Sega, or is, um... I don't really know how to describe it, but anything that was once part of Sega, a game which is still owned, or they still own the IP to, but they're not publishing, that's what counts as a legacy game. So let's take Bayonetta 2, for instance. Nintendo, everyone seems to think that Nintendo owns Bayonetta 2. They don't, but they did publish the game, therefore it doesn't count by our publishing rules, but it's counted as a legacy game through the fact of, well, they originally published the first game and they still own the IP. Shenmue 3, not published by Sega, not really any involvement except for they said that they could use the IP. Counted as a legacy game, as Shenmue 1 and 2 were first released by Sega and are heavily associated with the company. Monster Boy is the same thing. Monster Boy is a franchise heavily associated with Sega, so is Wonder Boy, therefore, by definition, it's allowed under the legacy rules. That's how our legacy rules tend to function, not always in practice, but you sort of get the point there. Anything that has a strong tie to Sega, not just, oh, it did sort of happened once. And, oh, this game was created by someone who used to work at Sega. No, it doesn't count like that. How it counts is a game that has some sort of strong tie to the company, and, well, Monster Boy just happens to fit that role. Before that, from Persona 5, The Royal, the opening theme, a mashup of the um, live version and the version that appears in the trailer, and everyone in the chat room is loving that one. So am I, because, well, can I, can't, I can't really blame you, because it's another Lin classic, it's another Persona classic. I can't wait for the full version of that, my ears are melting, that might be, dare I say it, my favourite vocal theme in the Persona 5 universe. Dare I say it, because there is a lot of good contests there, but... Ooh, it's close up there, but we haven't had the full version yet, so maybe it can soil it, or maybe it could just get that much sweeter, we don't know yet. But I will, however, say that uh, I want to give a huge thank you to everyone who's been listening in tonight. This is genuinely, I'm going to just flat out say it, this has genuinely been one of my favourite episodes of the show. My favourite episodes are always when I get to play obscure music, or talk about something obscure, or talk about something nostalgic, or just introduce you to something you may not have heard of, or known about, or known much about before, and, well, I heavily researched this episode, and as a result, contributed to Sega Retro quite significantly about it. I added a bunch of new music to Radio Sega as a result of this episode. I furthered my own knowledge on the service, and a lot of the games on the service. And it's just a nostalgic service. I just have good memories of sort of the time PlaySega was released because I never really got to use the service myself. But I have good memories of when it sort of came out and the times around then, 2009. That was a good year for me. And I just love nostalgic episodes that just happen to trigger that sort of feeling. And they can also teach you something new in the process. Just get to play stuff we don't play. And we've done that tonight. We've done all that stuff. And as a result, I've fallen in love with this episode. But 
I can't remember if I just said, but thank you to Electric Boogaloo, thank you to Jamie, thank you to Shaddix, thank you to Grayfall, thank you to myself, thank you to Twinny, thank you to TCB. Uh, thank you to everyone who's been listening in on Twitter. We've had Rabbids for Eva, we've had Adam Adam Wells, and we've probably had a whole bunch of you lurking as well. If I've forgotten your name, I apologise. But um, what can I say? Except for thank you for listening. As for next week, I don't know yet. I have some strong plans on what I want to do, but hang on, actually, wait, I should look, I should look. Damn it, no, okay, I can't do the thing I wanted to do next week, but, mm, I don't know, I, I've got some stuff in the pipeline, but I will let you know that there will be a blog post in this case about it, because I need to keep you guys informed a lot better than I do at the moment, but I did tell you well ahead of time that PlaySega would be the subject this week, so it's not like I left you completely in the dark, I told you last week that it would be the subject, and I would have updated you if that had changed. But either way... I've got some stuff. Likewise, if you want to request a topic that you want to hear, then visit radiose.ga forward slash topical resort. That's where you can find the forum thread. So if you have a forum account, brilliant. If not, you need to create a Radio Sega forum account, which also grants you the ability to request all your favourites 24-7. Once you do that, you can go and you can go and post in that forum what what music, what games, what topic, more importantly, you would like to hear. I will say before we go that we do have a bunch of other shows on Radio Sega Live coming up this weekend because, well, the weekend as of now, it's Radio Sega Live time. Once once the Friday turns old, that means it must be time for some live shows. So, after the Topical Resort myself, which airs Fridays at 7pm UK time, we have RSM Live with Voice Saturdays at 2am. The crazy fun continues over on the Mumble server and in the Radio Sega IRC. On top of that, we also have The Hidden Palace with Skyblaze, Saturdays at 9pm where they cover the best and the most obscure in Sega Trivia. So if you sort of like learning something new on this show, then times that by 10 if you listen to The Hidden Palace because the Sega education is strong in that one. Always come out learning something new and feeling entertained by Skyblaze in the process. Saturdays at 10pm is Saturday Night Sega with Gabby, our longest running live show by date. Not our longest running by episodes because Sega Mixed Drive has beaten it out, but it's been airing since March 2010. That's a whole long time and it hasn't really got any better in that tip. No, I'm kidding. Um, but it's a great show. It's more of an improv show nowadays than a thoroughly planned out thing like perhaps something like the Top Resort. Not thoroughly researched, just sit back with some Sega tunes and an underprepared show with Gavi, talk about some news, talk about some stuff you just want to talk about. Have, have a chill Saturday night with some Sega tunage then. Then it comes around Sundays at 2pm, Sweaty Sundays with Dr. Scott and again now this discussing the, great, the, the greatest and probably not latest by the time it's Sunday in pop culture and gaming news, not just Sega. Covers everything, dual casting on Nintendo Lounge, the YouTube channel and Radio Sega. It covers more than just Sega, so if you're a fan of the genre of game, or any genre of games, or a fan of just games in general, maybe even films, because they're probably going to talk about Avengers, that happened this week, didn't it? But be sure to tune in for that one, because I hear that's going to be a whole heap of fun. Um, most importantly, a whole heap of bodily fluids, probably. And Sega Mix Drive Sundays at 8pm, but I hear... Keep an eye on the social feeds because Rexy and her whole family are pretty sick right now, so it's not normally like Rexy to cancel, but I mean, keep an eye on those social media feeds anyway, because the worst could still come to the worst, but Sega Mix Drive plays you the best Sega remixes Sundays at 8pm, it's brand new time, it's moved from Fridays over to Sundays, and I think, 
I think the show's benefited because of it. Rolling back round to Mondays at 7pm, Radio Sega's Guest Nights, where we play you the best podcast that the Sega community has to offer you. And there's still more. We've got live streams as well. Tune in Tuesdays at 8pm when Grey 4 will be bringing you the Radio Sega Tuesday, not Tuesday, Tuesday. Because he'll be playing two great Sega games, or two not so great, or two just Sega games on a Tuesday night. Really bringing in that gimmick. It's not a Domino's Pizza, it's a Radio Sega 2 for Tuesday. And tune in, it's good. Then I'm back Wednesdays at 7pm playing, hopefully you're playing Hiroki. That stream should be archived as well. I say this quite a lot that I'm going to finish my Hiroki playthrough, then I never do. I really want to do it because it's such a good game, but I haven't played it since July on the channel, and I really should. It's always been a year since I started that playthrough. But I hope to do Hiroki Wednesday at 7pm. I will keep you updated on that one. Saturdays at 7pm as well. That's Rapid Run's mobile gaming day, except I hear this week a little birdie tells me he's going to be playing SA2. So stay tuned for that. But normally he plays a lot of mobile games over on his Twitch stream, but not this week. That's 7pm UK on the Radio Sega Twitch channel. First for now, I'm going to cheat a little bit because it is entirely correct that Sonic 3D was on Play Sega, but not on the Saturn. But see, I've devised an incredibly clever loophole because yes, the game was on the service, but not this version. But you know what the service gave away? It gave away a Saturn controller, therefore you play the Mega Drive version with a Saturn controller. It's not the same as playing the Saturn version, but we're going to relive that experience of playing the Saturn version. This is a Skyblaze level loophole, just so you know, but I really wanted to finish off with this track. From the Saturn version of Sonic 3D Blast, because I couldn't find a Mega Drive styled remix of it, this is Gene Gadget's own Act 1. I'm Green Viper 8, you'll have been awesome, thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay topical.
Enjoyed the show? Check out the full Radio Sega live schedule at radiosega forward slash shows. Radio Sega, playing the best Sega music 24-7.